I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Unhappy Friday, everybody. There's no happiness when you lose the way we did. I'm joined by my new co-host, esteemed friend, woke up ridiculously early to get this done for your listening pleasure, Mr. Brendan Nunes at 5.15am on Friday morning, California time. What's cracking, Brendan? What's going on? Yeah, I got my morning voice on right now. Uh, Yeah, I wish that I was able to get some better sleep and that would have happened if the Celtics just didn't absolutely blow game two. Again, in the third quarter, dude, they would won every quarter except for the third, and they lost the third by so much that it was insurmountable in the fourth. By 20. Yeah, dude, and it was just insurmountable, especially when with the way they played. Marcus Smart needs to take a, a big, hard look in the mirror for the shots that he was taking. The shot, shot choice would be better. I'm not very happy with the way he performed, and it kind of bled over from game one. I feel like he's playing a little bit selfishly at the moment. Blame's not solely on him. JT could have and should have put up a few extra shots than what he did. The defense, the transition defense, like specifically, was appalling in that last quarter. They were giving up too many easy points. They were getting stripped at will by the heat down the stretch. I'm I'm worried that this how they're going to claw back into this because at the minute there just doesn't seem to be any fight in them. Yeah, I mean, weirdly. It was almost like in because the first half was fine. And what was it, a 15 point game going into the second half? And it's almost like the Heat just out executed them. Like, I think if the Celtics really were giving full effort and on top of their business, that they would have been able to hold on to that lead. Like, the weak side help from from Jalen was terrible throughout this game. Jason was guilty too. Uh, Wanamaker, Shemi were guilty as well. There were, it, 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 like, most of it to me really was what just came to executing. Um, I, there was, I, I hate to harp on Jalen over and over, but I felt like there was one play at the beginning of the third. Um, I'm sorry, there was one stretch of plays. He had three horrible plays in a row. I fell asleep on defense multiple times. Miami had a 20-4 to run in that quarter, which is just ridiculous. And like Kemba was actually on somewhat in this game, especially in the first half there. And for your offense still to just come out and lay an egg in the second half, like, yes, Miami went to that zone and that's, that's what you're going to hear everybody say. But, you know, I think that Marcus and Kemba both are decent at getting to the middle of that zone and breaking it. I think getting Gordon back would be huge for breaking that zone. So while that is what threw the Celtics out of their rhythm, I think that they just made the same mistake over and over and over. And a lot of it had to do with just feeling like Miami wanted it more, which I think is why you saw a lot of the frustration being reported in the locker room after it's because this is the Eastern Conference Finals game and you kind of rolled over and died. Another big part of it, and I completely agree, Miami just out-hustled this team. And that's been part of Miami's whole card, hallmark card, all year. Calling card is what I was looking for. That's been part of Miami's calling card all season. They're a gritty team that want to out-hustle everyone they come up against. For me, in the first half of the game, the ball movement was there. It was crisp. There was a lot of off-ball cuts, a lot of backdoor cuts. There was movement, pin downs. In the second half, once you come up against that zone, everything stagnated. It went to a lot of ISO. 
a lot of dribble pull-ups in transition, which were just poor because there was plenty of time on the shot clock. And to quote Brad, they were trying to hit home runs instead of hit singles. And that's a, and when you're coming into the third with a lead as big as what they had, just keep hitting singles. Keep, keep the ball moving. If it's a zone, swing the ball side to side, look for a seam to open up, and then attack that seam with either penetration or you know a bit of high-low play to get the defense rotating and go from there. And it just wasn't manifesting itself, and that led to a bunch of turnovers, a lot of ridiculous 20 turnovers for the game. That's ridiculous. You can't be turning the ball over 20 times in the Eastern Conference Finals and be expecting to come out with a victory. And this is going to be, for me, this is going to be a thing that kind of recurs because it's recurring from the Toronto series where they weren't able to take care of the ball. And again, Toronto was a team that was throwing a lot of zone defense at them or zone-orientated looks that the Celtics had to kind of contend with. And they haven't learned yet. Or I mean, I'm assuming Brad Stevens learned, but the players haven't learned yet that all you need to do in this instance is stay patient, swing the ball, and penetrate once you see your spot. Until they can figure that out, this series is looking to be a very big, very, very big task. And I think part of it is, you know, the playmaking of Tatum has taken a jump, but he's still not like a primary playmaker. Jalen obviously has his struggles there, and Marcus is Marcus is capable, but he's not like a great playmaker, I would say. Um, a lot of it because he doesn't have like the same pressure himself as a scorer. Like Kemba's the only guy to me right now that I fully felt confident with like getting to the middle of the zone and making the play. And yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, those 20 turnovers just unacceptable for this important of a game this late in the postseason. And I'm curious, what do you think that getting Gordon Hayward back when when that does happen it seems like it could be next game correct me if I'm wrong there how do, how do you think this helps that because he's one of the better if not the best playmaker on the team right yeah and in my opinion he's also got the best off ball movement on the team so I feel like having him back is really going to stretch that defense if they go zone then Gordon will be able to move off the ball enough to cause rotations without needing that penetration which should open things up for guys like JT and Jalen to kind of make their runs and not feel like they're getting pressured off their spots. One of the things that you mentioned just though, where you said that you feel like Kemba's the only guy realistically able to get into the teeth of that zone and make something happen. Against Toronto, we saw a lot of Jason Tatum running pick and roll and operating as a de facto like point guard in, in a sense. He was definitely one of the primary initiators against zone defenses. Personally, I didn't clock too much JT running pick and rolls looking to get other guys involved. He was running picker roles to get into scoring opportunities. And that isn't going to be beneficial. So having someone like Hayward back that's going to take some of that pick and roll offense away from JT, especially when they're running with the second unit, which is where we'd expect to see Gordon come back with that second unit, then that's going to really level out their offense. It's going to give them an extra feather to, uh, string to their bow, feather to their cap. But it's definitely going to be in the off-ball movement and the playmaking when driving into the nail and driving into the teeth on the baseline that's going to really put pressure on Miami's zone. I feel like Boston are better when they're facing Miami in a man-to-man coverage. So if Hayward can force them to abandon their zone, even for stretches, just to, I'm assuming if he's on a minute restriction, if he comes back for 16 minutes and Stevens times it to throw him in whenever there's a zone and they have to revert back out, then this series becomes a lot more palatable. Yeah, I believe that Miami started started blitzing Tatum after switching on him in the first game, and that made him change up a little bit. Um, 
but I, I'm with you. And, you know, it was a, it was a good start to the game again. I mean, for Kemba to come out and hit his first two threes, um, Brian Robb tweeted that this was the first time Kimba Walker's made multiple threes since game three against Toronto. And then still at the end of the game, I mean, he didn't end up all too hot, like 23 points, nine of 19 from the field, four of 11 from three. Um, it's really those five turnovers. Tatum also had five turnovers, turnovers, smart with four. Those are all your primary ball handlers right there. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I don't know. Like, so I guess there's some, rotational stuff to take note of um, that's important. I think that, you know, Cantor was the backup center in this one for, for most of it. And I thought that went surprisingly well, um, nine points and six rebounds for Cantor's Cantor in 11 minutes on four or four from the field. It was, you know, with Miami switching the pick and roll most of the time, Cantor rolls hard and ends up with a pretty easy offensive rebound putback or, if he gets it to him and has a smaller guy on him, he's got really good touch around the rim. So I thought the canter adjustment was, was interesting. And yeah, of course it wasn't great on the defensive end though. And that's kind of where my concern was obviously um, that with Bam rolling to the rim, like it, it's definitely not on canter. Most of the time I felt like, again, it was on the weak side guy, which was often Jalen or Jason, but yeah, I mean, how many dunks did Bam Adebayo get in the pick and roll in the third quarter? It was ridiculous. They'd done a really good job of making life hard for him opening the game. It, it took him, I think it wasn't until like, quite late in the first that he got his opening bucket. And then he just seemed to grow into the game. He figured out, as you said, he figured out how to attack that weak side coverage after pick and roll. There was one play where he, um, he set a pick on the strong side and literally done like one of the smallest curls I've ever seen and then gets the alley gets the alley-oop off the pass. And it was so, like, how can I put it? It was so basic of a move that you'd expect someone to have rolled over and cut off that jumping lane. And it was just wide open for him. And I think he only travelled about three feet before elevating to catch the lob. And it's little things like that. Where was the low helpline help? Where was, the, where was anybody coming in from the perimeter to kind of deter that jump or try and, you know, strip that lob on the way on Adebayo's way up? There was just too many lapses on defense, and Adebayo is one of those guys that he can put the ball on the floor, he can make reads, he can make plays, and he can finish. So if you're not putting some real real interesting rotations and trying to kill him in the seams and get the ball out of his hands before he makes it to the block, it's going to be a big problem, and that's exactly what happened in the third. And then for Duncan Robinson on Miami's side, he came out on fire um, at the end of the first quarter. He had four threes go down. And to end the game, he had 18 on six of 12 from three. And every shot he attempted in this game was a three-pointer in true Duncan Robinson fashion. Um, they put Jalen on him instead of Marcus Smart in this one. And I actually thought it worked better. I, I think that Jalen does a really good job of kind of like being slippery and getting through screens. And a lot of his issues off the ball to me are kind of losing track of his guy. And if the guy he's guarding is constantly moving, there's not too many opportunities for that to happen. Weirdly, like he's locked in and he's focused on just locking and trailing Duncan Robinson around. I thought that works pretty well. Um, there was some Romeo Langford minutes or a minute, I guess. Uh, it seemed like he was going to get put out there and maybe take some of the shemmy minutes. He, I think he, literally all he did while he was out there was he had a quick 
um, attack a closeout and nice pass to an open three that I don't think ended up going down. And, or it did, he didn't get one assist in his one minute. Um, but then he left the game with a right abductor strain and was listed as doubtful. Um, but yeah, it was interesting that Brad tried a little bit of something different with the rotations. I thought that it worked out and Brad's getting a lot of crap for this game. I don't know if you saw, and I don't think it's deserved at all. Like, I think that there's a reason these guys were so upset in the locker room again is because a lot of this was just effort and execution and only so much of that can go on the coaching. Yeah. So to touch on Romeo, I feel like putting Romeo into kind of limit transition freeze and limit, like perimeter plays, which is where Miami were really hurt in Boston in game one. That was a smart move. Romeo has shown that he can be a very viable perimeter defender. He's pesky in the passing lanes, pesky when guys try to blow by him, usually finds a way of catching the ball or staying in front of his man to draw fouls. So it made sense when I saw Romeo in. I was shocked. I was like, Romeo's in early, but it made sense. And I could understand why he was trying that lineup. For Romeo to get hurt so quickly, is kind of indicative of the season he's had. It's kind of like, oh, Romeo Langford spent most of his time on the injury table season in his rookie season. And this kind of just amplifies exactly what everybody's already thought about Romeo. He's similar to Rob Williams. He can be impactful, but can he stay healthy? Well, that's something we're going to see. In terms of Brad, like you said, he's, he made rotation changes. He made personnel changes. He wasn't scared to throw guys in when he saw something wasn't working. How, he's not the guy out there playing the game. He's not the one rolling over. He's making calling timeouts. He's drawing up ATOs. And then the guys are going out there and not executing. Two of the turnovers in the fourth. I think it was in the fourth or at least in the second half. Two turnovers came directly off ATOs. That's a lack of execution. Brad Stevens has a reputation for being one of the more in intuitive coaches when it comes to drawing up ATO plays he's used and he's had that reputation for a while so for two turnovers to come off the back of something he's renowned for drawing up to me that screams lack of execution lack of hustle Miami just wanted this more and part of the thing that was going on in the locker room for me was there were selfish plays coming across the board at certain points in the game a lot of guys wanted to get their own number called there was a JT play in the fourth where he kind of gathered the ball and drove into the teeth of the defense, finished the play, but got called for the charge. And it was in, it was definitely a charge because the way he dropped his shoulder. There was de- there was a dump off a dump off pass to the weak side corner if he needed it. There was a guy tra- I think Tice was trailing him, so he could have set Tice up off that drive too. There was just too much, too much one in your own number called a lot of ISO ball. And look, that's not Brad Stevens' mantra. So there's something going wrong somewhere that I don't think can all be pinned on the coach. Definitely. I mean, yeah, there was a play with what, 35 seconds left. Miami had a shot up three, missed it, and four Celtics players are standing there. Just nobody grabs the rebound, and it goes into Miami's hand. And at the beginning of this game, I thought, you know, another part of the reason Cantor was in, like there was a high priority on rebounding in this one. Miami has a pretty small lineup, and while Boston goes small as well, like Tatum and Brown are really good rebounders for their size. Um, So, yeah, they had a really good priority on that in the first half. Miami had three offensive rebounds in the first half, and then they end up with eight in the second half. Um, It's just, yeah, I mean, multiple things that point towards effort because, you know, you did 
okay from the field, even though like they were on fire in the first half. And that's part of the reason they got out the gate. And that might be part of the reason they got a little uh, lackadaisical, but they still ended my uh, Boston. This is 50% from the field, 35% from three and nearly 80% from the free throw line on 24 attempts, 24 free throw attempts to Miami's 14. When, you know, Miami getting to the line was a big concern in the game before and to hold them to these percentages and, and still blow this game. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what else there is to say, except like the team came out and got a little flustered by the zone and effort Miami came out with in the third half and Boston just didn't seem like they won it. And I think that's kind of uncharacteristic of this team. Like it sucked to see, but I don't like, I, I feel so confident the game three, they're going to come out and just, have this crazy energy to them. The, the question is, if they come out with that crazy energy, can they maintain it over four quarters? Because that's been the recurring theme now for the last nine games. They've won one third quarter in nine games and lost, I think, what, four of those, five of those, in due to third quarter, blowing a third quarter. I mean, look, game one, they come into the fourth. They had a good third. They come into the fourth with a 14-point lead and lose. They come into the half with a 15-point lead in yesterday's game and lose. There's something about this team that just they can't stay locked in for the full 48. They can lock in for two or three quarters of a game and then they really fall apart for one of those quarters. And they just love building themselves a mountain to climb back up. As you said, there's not much more we can say. I feel like Miami just are out-hustling the Celtics at the moment. There needs to be some form of mentality change. Not... I wouldn't say lineups need to be moved around. Maybe rotation minutes get switched a little bit more, but this is definitely a mentality thing. And a good thing to point out is, I think um, Van Gundy said it on the ESPN feed, was like the Celtics dominated the Heat on long rebounds in the first half of the game. Every long rebound was ending up in a Celtics hand and they were feasting because of it, because they were catching the guys out before rotations could get set. And then they were attacking closeouts rapidly and finding the open man. In the second half of the game, the Celtics weren't pulling up the same amount of effort to grab those long rebounds, which allowed the Heat to get out in their transition or to attack a sec or to get like a second attack in before the Boston defense set. Now, if Boston had done that for one extra quarter and attacked those extra rebounds and attacked the glass that little bit more, we saw Jalen do it a little bit late. He was crashing the boards a little bit off the weak side, but it's a team effort, especially with Brad Stevens basketball, everything's by committee. You score by committee, you pass by committee, you rebound by committee. There's a lot going on. And I feel like being with each of us so much and with this team being so young, maybe they're starting to grind on each other a little bit. I think you mentioned the youth and I do think that's a big part of it. Of you know, with, with Tatum and Brown being your, your primary guys uh, that are young here. I think that, you know, learning, like you're saying, to be able to keep your ga- keep your foot on the gas for a full 40, 40 minutes that these guys are playing. Tatum played 42, Jalen 39. I think that's something that, that pacing yourself, especially Tatum, where you don't have, you know, six minutes where you're not really doing all too much out there. Um, but I also think that it is a product. And, and Kemba as well, I kind of left him out because while he's a vet, he still is kind of a rookie to these situations in a way. Um, He hasn't seen playoff basketball like this before. And I think he's having a little bit of a rough time adjusting, but him and Tatum took turns a little bit. Jalen had a stretch of 
of being successful initiating the offense. And I think, you know, the lack of depth of this team, like if the Celtics do kind of take turns and having one more guy that can slot in and, and, you know, be the primary playmaker and setting up plays for other people and for himself for, you know, five, six minute stretch in that third quarter when nobody else has it going. Like I think that Gordon Hayward coming back really could do a lot for this team. Wanamaker has been really good this series actually, but that's not a guy you want playing 25 minutes. Uh, like he, he's been the best bench player, but like you need to be giving minutes to better quality players. And, and, you know, Gordon Hayward coming back, we've mentioned the depth of this team, like countless times throughout the, throughout the year, Gordon coming back, I really would hope would do a lot for, for kind of all of this. Yeah. If Gordon comes back, stay, gets healthy, stays healthy for as long as he remains in the bubble, then he's going to be a huge part, a huge cog in what they do. And he could be the guy to swing this series. The other side of that coin is he could be the guy that comes in and the ball starts leaving certain guys' hands a little bit more. And we go back to what it was last season where there's a little bit of resentment that they're used to a certain amount of touches. And now those touches decrease when they're the guys that got the team to the finals in the first place. And that again kind of alludes to youth and not understanding or not having to sacrifice for the team as much as what a 30-year-old like Kemba would have, who sacrificed multiple years of his career for a team, which is why he's only a rookie in the finals. I don't think that's going to be much of a problem for this Celtics team. They speak like it. They want to do everything that it takes to win. And with having someone like Haywood back, making sure he gets the ample amount of touches to have an impact should do that. I want to know, though, what's your thought on Smart? I'm going to end it on this as well. So this isn't Smart bashing, but it is a little bit. What's your thought on his shot selection and the amount of shots he's putting up? Because I'm not for it at all. It's a little excessive. Um, Like, I I don't want him taking transition threes sort of situation um, or these, like, wonky finishes. But I don't know. Like, I think it's just – it's too much. And I see why it's frustrating for sure, but – I kind of think this is just Marcus Smart. Like, this is just part of the Marcus Smart experience. And I don't really know if you can tell him, like, to not be so confident in his offensive game because I think that's part of what makes him have a gravity as a three-point shooter because he does have this extreme confidence and occasionally it'll work out for you. And I think that's kind of what allows him to have the gravity. So, like, I, I agree that it's frustrating at times especially especially the, these transition threes. Like, those are the ones that I think need to be cut off. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of think it's just part of the Marcus Smart experience. You see, I get that. I get everybody saying it's part of the Marcus Smart experience. And I understand that what he brings to the table on defense makes everything that little bit more palatable in terms of his overall performance. But, dude, there was – I think it was like um, midway through the second quarter – he gets the ball off a, a high-low exchange with Daniel Tice down on the low block, goes to a spin move, draws three defenders. Now, that, now for me, I'm like, right, he's going to spin, and then he's going to pivot back and kick the ball back out to an open Wanamaker or to Tice. There's 14, 15 seconds left on the shot clock. He goes to a spin move and pulls up with three hands in his face and hits an air ball, and it's just like, you're not Tatum, you're not Kobe. Know your role, play within that role. Kill those transition frees completely. Shoot when you've got the open shot. But you, I don't agree that he should be taken. I understand, yeah, he, he can shoot you back into a game. But for every free makes that Smart has, you get 
two misses, two bad passes and a turnover. So I want to limit those makes and in return we'll limit those bad passes and that turnover because that confidence will be kept at an even check. Um, I'm writing an article at the moment which will come out later today where I said that Brad Stevens keeps talking about water finding its level and I feel like Marcus Smart's water's overflowed and then yesterday somebody just pulled that plug and it found its level again. Uh, he's, he's not an offensive leader and he shouldn't be. His value's on the defensive end. Yeah, and again, I think that, you know, Gordon coming back would do a lot for that as well. Um, I think that, you know, like in that third quarter, we saw guys take their foot off the gas and, and stop making plays. And Marcus was was guilty of it, but to a lesser extent than some of the other ones. And maybe he takes it into his own hands too much sometimes. Um, I totally see where you're coming from here. And yeah, I will say like, especially, I mean, again, this is also part of the Marcus Smart experience, but he flopped a lot. He flopped a lot in this game. Um, and it just seems like, you know, he was trying to get a little bit of a friendlier whistle on their side compared to how it was in the previous game. But yeah, he, he wasn't all too hot in this one. And yeah, I mean, you can't say anybody was in the second half for Boston. Right, guys, we've gave you our thoughts. We're not too happy about this. We're going to be recording again Sunday, which will be the day after game three. And you'll hear it Monday. We're hoping that we see some Gordon Hayward. We're hoping that we see a victory. It'd be nice to celebrate a victory for the first time in three games. I think they still got this. Yeah, I'm going Celtics in seven, but it's becoming more and more of a tough ask. But if Denver can beat the Clips, then Boston sure as hell can beat the Miami Heat. That's right. our take for right now. I'm sorry it's been so negative, everybody, but I'm sure everybody else is feeling exactly the same way. Let us know your thoughts. You can hit myself up on Twitter or Brendan, Adam Taylor NBA or Brendan Nunes NBA. Leave one of those nice written five-star reviews. Only nice, not nasty. You know, nothing nice to say. Don't say it at all. And we will check out with Brendan's signature sign-off. So say bye, Brendan. See you later, guys.